0: Happy birthday
1: to me. (laughs) Happy birthday to me. Why are you, like, sad birthday-songing it?
0: I'm just remembering my past birthdays.
1: Yes. I would get a
0: a cupcake from the store, put one candle in it, and then sit at home in my dark apartment and blow it out. I know I've told this story before, but it's... (laughs)
1: You definitely. Told it was this a big story.
0: moment for me. Well,
1: hey, listeners. Today, the day you're hearing this, is Tyler's birthday. Yay, Yay, I'm 26. How does it feel?
0: I mean, as of we're recording this, my birthday's in a week. but... <laughs> How um, does it feel
1: that 26 is coming up?
0: I, I mean,
1: it's like you're now on the other side of the 20s. Yeah, I guess. I guess technically... I don't know. You'd... I
0: feel like I should have had a lot more accomplished by this point in my life.
1: 26 is the last of the mid-20s, so you're still in your mid-20s, not late-20s. So you're good.
0: I would say 27 would count as late-20s. I... Or would count, yeah, would count I agree. as mid-20s. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Like, it's mid to late.
1: Think about it. Twenty. No, I know. You split it up 20... into three. Well, then yeah. that's no, how it works. <laughs> that's even <laughs> okay. even uh, splitting upage.
0: Yeah, but... I... If someone's like, I'm 27, I wouldn't be like, oh my god, you're almost 30.
1: (laughs) But when they're 28, you would say that.
0: Yes, to their face.
1: Which is really mean. You don't say that to our sister.
0: (laughs) Well, like, oh my god, you're almost 30. (laughs) Also, I'm just imagining in this scenario, that's how someone introduces themselves. Like, hi, I'm Elizabeth, I'm 28. (laughs) You'd be like, oh, you're almost 30, I'm Tyler.
1: They do that on uh, the dating shows.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I wouldn't be meeting Elizabeth. (laughs)
1: I don't really think you'd be going on a date with Elizabeth for more than just her age.
0: (laughs) Well, yes. I have nothing against people that are 28. Like, that is well within an appropriate range. But yes. oh, for you, yes. Yeah,
1: I thought you were saying but- like just in general, you don't have problems with people who are twenty eight. I'm like, well, that's good because I'm definitely over that age, and I don't know how I would feel if you're like, I really have problems with people who are older than twenty seven. Like, they, why did they? Yeah. why do they even try anymore? Basically, it's downhill from there. Like,
0: why weren't you just born later? And like, <laughs> did you just not try hard enough? Like, no. Why not didn't conversations I have? <laughs>
1: why didn't you tell the sperm to just slow down? Okay. You know, this is no race we're trying to win. It is. It's called the race of life.
0: And we all won.
1: We did. at least the beginning part.
0: That's like the only race I have and will ever win.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Um. Same. I've never been the fastest at anything except, I guess, for that. <laughs>
0: oh, sometimes I'm the fastest to like anger, but...
1: That's... <laughs> sometimes I'm the fastest to like finish a meal.
0: you know all these things well growing up it was
1: always a race i mean whoever finishes their first plate first gets a second and not everyone gets a second just kidding i know kidding me we counted food
0: we did like hey you can't get the biggest one the biggest potato's mine (laughs) (laughs) um but yes now i'm 26 and trucking along
1: yes um well hello everyone this is blood and wine i'm Brittany,
0: and i'm tyler
1: and we've got an exciting episode for you guys today. It's actually one of our Patreon picks. And we'll explain yes, explain more about what that means later. Or now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I think we're about to jump in right now with what it is.
1: Okay, actually, I'll do it now. Patreon, one of the perks, if you're one of our Patreon members, on our top tier is that you get to direct an episode. So that means you either pick a topic and we'll find cases, or if you have a case that you know you really want us to do, then we will find a topic and another case to go with it. And also on Patreon, we have our murder minis. I feel like that's like the biggest thing about Patreon. Like obviously directing the episode is super cool because we tell everyone that it was your pick. Like, We let everyone know. But our murder minis are pretty freaking amazing. Uh, Right now we're up to like 22 additional episodes. And you get those on Patreon only. So you definitely want to check those out. They're sometimes super gruesome. Always a little drunker. And... Uh Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So...
0: A little drunker. It's... It's... If you think that we sound sloppy when, you know... Towards the end when we're starting to get into the postmortem, Just imagine that level in a whole episode.
1: Because that's when we start. As soon as we're done recording um, a regular episode, we then jump over and record a murder mini. So mm-hmm. be sure and check out um, our Patreon.
0: Also, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcast listening platform of choice. Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, all the things. Hit that subscribe button and all of our episodes, you'll be like notified when they go live and they'll be right there at your fingertips.
1: Every True Crime Tuesday. Um, well, okay. You told me a really funny story earlier and I think you should say it now as well. Yes.
0: Yes. So, this news story comes out of the United Kingdom, and there was a restaurant in Manchester at the steak chain Hawksmoor. It's the name of the restaurant. It's kind of a fancy steak restaurant. And one of the customers there, it's a busy night, one of the customers orders a bottle of wine, uh, 2001 Chateau Pinchon, Loginville, Comtesse. De la Lande,
1: <laughs> the longest <laughs> wine name ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, as you could tell, speak no French. But um, <laughs> if this was a fancy bottle of wine, it was a uh, two hundred and sixty pounds or about three hundred thirty-five dollar bottle of wine.
1: That's really that expensive. they ordered.
0: Well, again, it's a very busy night, so their server accidentally grabbed a different bottle that was another Bordeaux of the same vintage. They grabbed the Chateau Lepin Pomero, which is also a 2001 wine. Yeah. The only difference being the bottle they were given was worth $5,800.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Just hearing it again, I'm like, what?
0: I know. To be
1: that server. Oh my God. What'd they do? Take it out of their paycheck? (laughs)
0: Well, no. <gasps> Thankfully, they were really cool about it. Uh, they actually tweeted out to the customer who accidentally got given a bottle of Chateau Le Pien Pomerol 2001, which is 4,500 pounds on our menu last night. Hope you enjoyed your evening. <laughs> to the member of staff who accidentally gave it away, chin up, one-off mistakes happen, and we love you anyway, with a wink face.
1: That is literally the best response ever, because I hate that it surprises me that they were that nice yeah. about the situation. Because that's not like, oh, he bought the $300 one and accidentally gave him the $500 and they're like, it's fine, whatever. It was like almost $6,000. $6,000
0: bottle. Yeah. And no one noticed until like the end of their meal. Uh, one of the managers was like, um, what? So they drank this bottle of wine being like, this is a- really good 300 pound wine we like, really I'm like feeling this. this i'm
1: definitely tasting the bits of leather it's a bordeaux so it's basically like bedtime wine because you know it's heavy and they're like oh yeah i love this and then if they ever saw that tweet they were probably like holy shit oh my but, god yeah
0: saw that on cnn today and i was like i love this
1: <laughs> i still if i was that server it would just be devastated Just devastated that I did
0: that. My god, what have I done? (laughs) This is also
1: why I don't why I was never a server. Like I said, I think in the last episode. That I never did serving. I was a hostess, but never a server. Not the same thing, I totally agree. I'm not I saw your face. I'm not trying I'm not trying to say it's any anywhere near similar to being a server. It's not.
0: Um but yeah, saw that story, loved it, needed to share it. I've I've never made that mistake. But I can definitely see how they're both 2001, both Bordeaux, both Chateau something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a busy night. Like, oh, let me grab the wine. Mm-mm. Yeah.
1: Well, um, you want to hop on into the topic now? Or me, me to it. hop into the topic?
0: Yeah. Tell me.
1: So this is, um, as I said earlier... When it's a fan pick, you can either give us the case you really want us to do or a topic. So this is one where um, Courtney, our Cabernet Sauvignon convict patron, she had a case that it's in a town that's local to her and she really wanted us to do this case. So we backed into a topic and this week's topic is missing bodies. Yes, Because one thing we all are all too familiar with who listen to True Crime is... The body's not always discovered, and that's not always how people are caught or how things are solved. And we'll dive deeper into this when we're actually in our cases. So I don't have a ton of upfront about it, but it's just... It's one of those scary things that not only is not everyone caught, I mean, not obviously more people are caught nowadays, but sometimes people are caught and the body's never found, or sometimes the body's never found and no one's ever caught, and it's never known to be a murder. So it's just, it's really yeah. eerie to think about all the missing bodies that could be out there.
0: Oh, yeah. And I, when doing my research and looking for a case in this, there are so many countries that I saw that... You know, they would highlight a case from like 2005 and it would say things like, this is the first time in this country that someone has been convicted of murder without a body. Right. And I'm like, holy shit, that's only like 14 years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I saw that multiple times of like fairly recent dates of it being like the first time in it. And it really just highlights how difficult it can be to charge someone with murder when there's no body. Well,
1: the body I is know, generally think... the biggest piece of evidence. And without that, yeah. you don't have, you know, you can't see cause of death, you can't see, you know, different markings or no fingerprints, mm-hmm. or just all the the fibers and things that are collected, like all the forensics that are collected on a dead body, when you don't have that body. Yeah, a lot of well, it, it is um, circumstantial evidence. And we've talked about circumstantial evidence, and how it very much varies case by case, whether it's enough to convict
0: or not. Yeah. I I think it's interesting, because I feel like on one level, we all know this. We all have that, like, uh, the scenario of, like, if you accidentally killed someone, where would you you call to, like, hide the body? Or where would you... You know, hiding the body is always the first step kind of thing. Yeah. And...
1: Which I always wonder what those dreams mean, because the first time I had one of those dreams... It was like, it was an accident. I've, I've never had a dream where I am purposefully killing someone. It's an accidental murder that you're somehow involved in or an accidental death. And you're like, oh my god, do I turn myself in? Or do I bury the body? Do I get rid of it? Do I hide it? Where do I hide it? And it's obviously one of those dreams that is reflecting on like what decisions do you make when something happens? Do you try to hide it or do you fess up? Although it's like an extreme of that.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, and I know. And we're both very type A people. So I know I'm usually like, okay, action plan. Here's what we're going to do.
1: Did you I mean you've had the dream, right? Where you accidentally yeah. are involved in someone's death. Mine was really weird. We we hid them it was actually you were in it as well. We oh, joy. we hid the body in a couch.
0: That doesn't sound <laughs> like a long term solution at all.
1: No. It was like in the couch or like under the couch. It was something, I don't know. It was really weird. And I remember we did it and it was in like a living room and we just, you know, hoped it was never found. And then like a year later, we're back in that living room and the body hadn't been found. And we're all like, oh, la, 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 hanging out. And someone's like, well, let's move this couch over here. Like, let's rearrange the room or something like that. And we're like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. Literally,
0: Not the smell <laughs> of a decomposing body for a year. None of that. The like pool of liquefied matter that would be under the couch.
1: The lumps that would be on the couch as you try to sit it and there's a body under the cushions. I don't know. <laughs> but, I'm okay. not saying my dreams were legit, but it's really scary dream and I woke up and I'm like, oh god, maybe I watched too many documentaries this week.
0: <laughs> See, I don't have the, like, I actually killed someone let's hide the body dream very often. I have had it before. Uh, But usually in a dream where I wind up killing someone is my recurring there's a shooter at work dream that I've talked about. Oh, God. Yeah, and it often ends with very graphic, but like me, like, hitting their head against the wall until it's like brains and shit because... Oh my... Yeah.
1: So you actually have more of this, like, redeeming type like heroic kill mine is yeah. mine is something accidental and i try to hide
0: it see mine always like looking back i'm like oh yeah that's probably what it's saying but it the dreams are always super depressing because usually like i get shot too i think subconscious me is convinced i'm going to like lose a leg one day because i usually wind up in this dream scenario I and mean, i'm telling you it's recurring it's like a once every week or two kind of dream God. um but yeah now i like get shot in the leg and i have to get it removed and then i'm just in the hospital depressed Yeah, that is a very
1: depressing dream.
0: It is. And I'm like, oh, I should probably talk to someone about that. And that's why we're going into our first sponsor. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though. um, this Also, this dream I have is probably something I should talk to someone about, too. (laughs) Because, like, I don't know what I'm trying to hide, quote unquote, but clearly something. So um, anyway, before we hop into our cases, let's pour our wine.
0: Yes. Tell
1: me about yours.
0: So the wine that I chose for today is the Bontera at Equinox Red 2017.
1: Oh, wait, show me the bottle. I feel like I may have had this one
0: before. So it's like a blue label with like a little owl chilling in the corner doing his thing.
1: Oh, okay. I think I have had a Bontera, but I have not had this one. That bottle is really so- cool.
0: It is. So, interestingly enough, I think my store that's usually more expensive uh, had it for cheaper than usual. Because this one was, I think, $11. Yeah. And on their website, it was like 16 Wow. And I was like,
1: okay. You're like, I'll take but, it. But um,
0: this one is from... Hopland in Mendocino County, California, oh. which listeners may remember my story about almost being kidnapped in the hippie commune in Hopland. Yep. Um, so didn't know Bentera was over there, but it is.
1: There you go. You've got um, this little connection now. Congratulations. A little, <laughs> yay.
0: But this wine, it also won 90 points at the like wine enthusiast awards Damn. thing, um, and it was described as a Firm texture and big, earthy, black fruit flavors that give this full-bodied wine plenty of presence. It tastes of blackberry, cranberry, and dark chocolate, while it feels tannic and grippy on the palate. Merlot and Petit Syrah are the two main components of this blend. I know.
1: That's an interesting blend.
0: I know. I was like, ooh. I honestly didn't know it was Merlot until... I was looking it up cuz on the bottle it doesn't say or if it does I'm blind and wasn't looking. Yeah. But um but yeah, so I'm going to open it.
1: All right. Well, while you get into that wine, I'm going to tell you all about mine. <laughs>
0: Oh, there we go. Oh my
1: god, I'm glad you didn't take off the top of that bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Same. That seemed very uh, stuck in there. It was. It very <laughs> much was. Okay, so I picked the Vintage 2017 Layer Cake Shiraz. Mm. It is from South Australia, and I am going to drink this whole bottle and pretend it's cake, because it has a picture of cake on it, and it really makes me want like some chocolate cake. See, honestly,
0: cake doesn't... <laughs> doesn't do it for me. I'm not a big cake person.
1: Well, you know, I'm not either. I'm also not a big chocolate cake person, but there's something about this that looks amazing. So Shiraz is the name that's given to the dark-skinned Syrah grape when it's grown in Australia. So I did not oh. realize Syrah, like with a Y, is the same as Shiraz, just depending on where it's grown. So.
0: Hmm, I didn't know that
1: either. That was when I was doing my research, I kept searching for Shiraz, and Syrah kept coming up, and I'm like... No, I'm typing Shiraz. Like, why are you doing this? No, Google, that's not what I mean. Well, Google was smarter than me and it knew what results to give me, but...
0: Yeah, it tends to do that.
1: (laughs) So Shiraz is important to Australian viticulture because it's the most planted grape variety in the majority of all Australian vineyards. So it's darker than the Cabernet Sauvignon grape and it contains high amounts of health invigorating antioxidants. So basically this bottle is also like Working out. Oh. I am all about that as well. I mean, because you've heard yeah. that, you know, red wine has a lot of antioxidants and you know, basically it's like going to the gym.
0: I mean, it's not, but yeah, it's basically a big green juice, is what you're drinking.
1: Exactly. But
0: it's red. Which honestly, <laughs> I think that there is a market. For a bar that's, like, specialized in, like, fresh grain juices and healthy things, and then you pour a little vodka in it, because, like, we all need that to get through our day. Yes, and I'm but I'm saying. talking
1: about antioxidants in red wine from the grapes in their skins, not grain alcohol like vodka. <laughs>
0: No, I realize this, but, like, healthy and gets you drunk. It's a market out there.
1: So, um, anyway, when you first taste a Syrah or a Shiraz, you're going to be greeted with this, like, punch of flavor that's going to taper off with some spicy peppery notes in the aftertaste. So... Wine growers will often say that Syrah or Shiraz likes a view because the best vineyards are usually towards the top of hills where there's like less soil and it makes the vines produce less, but more concentrated grapes. So there's oh. just, you know, again, like that punch of flavor inside these grapes. So f- for <laughs> for this layer cake Shiraz, they pulled from the vineyards of McLaren Vale, and. Barossa Valley. And the microclimates in those two areas give a broad array of flavors to blend into this very complex, rich, full Shiraz wine. And the vines from these two regions date back to like the 1830s. So... Nice. There's a lot of history in this bottle. Um, It has aromas of cocoa, warm spice, and dark fruit when you first get that first smell. And then once you taste it, this is a very layered wine with rich blackberry, dark cherries, and hints of dark creamy chocolate ganache. So... Literally, I can see why this winery is called Layer Cake. That makes so much sense with what this wine is and, you know, all these layered flavors. Again, with that finish, it lingers on your palate while the fruit and spice flavors slowly change and fade. The grapes are 100% Shiraz and they are fermented in 100% French oak barrels. And it is 14.9% alcohol. So...
0: Dang, that's heavy. I wonder at what point is it cons- is wine considered a port?
1: I don't know. Maybe like fifteen or sixteen percent.
0: Maybe because I've known. I know some ports are like in the eighteen range.
1: They are. I've had ports. I'm not really a big fan. But um, it is a screw top, so I'm gonna get into this easily and pour me a glass.
0: Nice. While you do that, I want to talk a little bit about mine. This wine is like black.
1: That is really dark.
0: Like. There's no light on the other side. Oh, God. That sounded much darker (laughs) than I meant it.
1: Um, Mine's also... There's no
0: light on the other side Um, when you look at the wine.
1: Mine's also extremely dark. Look at this. Wow. So these are teeth-staining wines. That's for sure.
0: Uh, Yeah. These are wines that... I won't judge you for drinking it with a straw. I just won't be myself, I won't personally. be using a straw,
1: but I'm, you know, gonna make sure and smile in the mirror before I walk outside today.
0: Sure. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Whoa. Yeah. Ooh, I want to talk about mine. I very much, when I smell it, definitely get, like, fruit and spice. And then when I tasted mm-hmm. it, it's, like, blackberry, and then the finish is when you taste the spice. The tannins yeah. are not very heavy. Um, I would say they're medium. They're not light either, but they're not like mm-hmm. this. these heavy, like, whoa tannins. Um, this is really good. It's definitely not a drink fast wine because it is so rich and dark and you really want to enjoy all of these different layers and flavors that it has. Um, as this continues to open up, I know I'm going to start tasting a lot more, you know, the dark cherries and um, the chocolate. I haven't tasted the
0: chocolate out of it yet. Well, mine is very different. Uh, the first notes that hit your tongue, I think come a lot from the petite Syrah. It's very, it has like a pronounced acidity oh. and it's like very drying on the tongue. And then it evolves and as you swallow to that very smooth velvety tannins that you expect from a Merlot. And I do get some of the fruit, but really the biggest thing is that like tongue numbing sensation. Oh my god, am I gonna die? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think so.
0: But yeah, no, it makes my tongue numb and it's a good wine, so.
1: I'm really liking this, and I also love the bottle, like my simple layer cake with the piece of cake. It's, it's amazing. All oh. right. Well, I want to say it, because um, you always get to say it. We have our wine, We have our topic. Now, tell me about your murder.
0: The case that I chose today is the murder of Madeline Marie O'Hare and her family. So, the sources that I used were Wikipedia, My San Antonio News, All That's Interesting, and New York Times. And of course, it's another local Texas one.
1: Your favorites.
0: Yay. You may as well. There's too much murder that happens in Texas.
1: We're just going to blame it on the fact that it's so big. I mean, Sure. I mean, do you get news alerts? Because I do, and it's like horrifying. I'm like, why do I have this on? Why? Why?
0: I specifically don't because it's like yeah. another body was found a block away from your office, and I'm like, mm, that's great.
1: <laughs> I know, same.
0: No, I think I had I had alerts on, and I think I turned them off after the um, the Austin bomber. And I was like, because um, I also read the news every morning. You do.
1: You're like um, a real part adult, of my life, basically.
0: At this point, kind of. I have my five minute news NPR podcast I listen to that you introduced me to. Yeah, that's what I listen to when walking Max. And then uh, as I'm getting ready, or like as I'm settling down at work, I'll pop open, like browse CNN and then the Austin news. But um. Anyways, so those are my sources. Also, if you want more insight into this, you should watch the movie on Netflix. It's a made-for-Netflix movie called The Most Hated Woman in America. And I have not watched it. Strongly want to note they did take a lot of liberties in it. Yeah. But the movie has, um, like, Adam Scott. Madeline is played by this famous actress who I cannot remember what her name was.
1: Melissa Leo? Yes. Yeah, I'm adding this to my list. I've never heard of this one.
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard of it until I started doing research for my case and at the bottom of one of my articles was like, oh, also look at Netflix's new movie. And I was like, oh shit, okay.
1: I literally want to watch this movie. It Netflix says it's a 55% match, but then I read the description and it sounds like it should be way more.
0: Honestly, well, the, the Netflix matches are just what they think you might be interested in, not what you actually like, because also... Fun fact, Final Destination came to Netflix recently, like all of them. Yeah. And as much as I hate movies, Final Destination is like one of my guilty pleasure movies.
1: It's always been one of mine. And like I think... Like even
0: the ones that's like Final Destination 4 and you're like, this sucks, but I love it.
1: I mean, yeah, it's. I feel like because they deal with some of the the things that you either think of as like, oh, that could totally kill me, or would never think of. So I mean, yeah. the one we've talked about before, following a truck of the logs, fucking
0: logs.
1: But the other <laughs> like one, a truck with logs. The other one, I think, in like three or four. Someone gets, like, decapitated on a roller coaster.
0: Uh, that was, that's three. Yeah. Is the big, the big thing is the roller coaster. Horrifying. I will say one of my favorite ones and one of the most critically acclaimed ones is it's either five or six. It's, I think it's the newest one. They have six? Yeah, they have five or six. Oh I God. can't remember. Um, But it takes place, like, the big thing happens on a bridge It's one that like the acting is done better and it actually has a story in place. It's it's a very good one. All right. Final Destination twenty-six. Got it. Yes. (laughs) Final Destination 58 is a great one. All right. Um, So tell me about
1: Madeline O'Hare.
0: So Madeline May is as she was born, was born in the Beachview neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the US on April thirteenth of nineteen nineteen. And she first became widely known when, in 1960, she filed a lawsuit against the Baltimore City Public School System, naming her son William as a plaintiff, and she was challenging the city school system's practice that required students to participate in Bible readings at the public school. She said that her son's refusal to participate had resulted in not only bullying by classmates, but also from administrators, and that the administrators were condoning the behavior. Oh, wow. And after her case was consolidated with the Abington School District v. Shemp, the lawsuit went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States.
1: Oh my gosh, about him being forced to read in school?
0: Yeah. So, in 1963, the court voted 8-1 to in Shemp's favor, saying that mandatory public Bible readings by students was unconstitutional. It violated the separation of church and state. And after her victory, she became known as the most hated woman in America.
1: Wow. Um, and so he went to, her son went to a public school?
0: Yeah, public school in Baltimore, and they had mandatory prayer.
1: That's, no. I mean, if if this were a private school, then that's completely different. It's not funded by yeah. the government and taxpayers. So yes, they can do those things. Because I know there are mm-hmm. a lot of private schools that are religion-based private schools. But like, having prayer be a requirement in a Mm -hmm. public school like that's i I don't know i mean i completely agree with the court's decision obviously it was a supreme court they're like no church and state the fact that it had to go all the way up there that is one thing that drives me absolutely insane is that it is literally in our constitution that church and state are separate entities yet our politics are so interwoven with religion that it oh yeah it's like i'm sorry you wrote this like document to be what we go by and like immediately stopped following it
0: yeah but the reason that it's forced prayer and stuff doesn't happen in public schools is because of this decision
1: so this was in like the 50s 60s yeah
0: 1963 that's right this supreme court decision was like not forced prayer unconstitutional so in 65 Murray married US Marine Richard O'Hare and changed her last name to O'Hare. Mm-hmm. And a couple years after the lawsuit, she moved from Baltimore to austin texas
1: oh my gosh she this said is a that, close connection to you
0: yes she said that she left baltimore because of the persecution she was getting from its residents she received mail that contained photos smeared with feces oh my Her gosh. son john's pet kitten was killed <gasps> no. and her house was stoned
1: jeez and uh, she... People? Wow! Yeah.
0: And she thought that all of these events were a catalyst for her father's fatal heart attack. So after that, she was like, no, nah, we're getting the fuck out of Baltimore. Granted, getting out of Baltimore and moving to Texas for this, not the decision I would have made, but... Not the one I would have made But it is either. Austin, so, you know. It
1: is, but I'm surprised she didn't, like, go to California.
0: Yeah. So, in Austin, O'Hare founded the... American Atheists group, and this group identified as a nationwide movement which defends the civil rights of non-believers, works for the separation of church and state, and addresses issues of First Amendment public policy. And she served as the group's first CEO and president until 86. And although her son, Garth Murray, succeeded her officially as president, she retained most of the power and decision-making for the group. And she was a very well-known person. She filed several lawsuits challenging government practices based on upholding and defining the constitutional separation of church and states. And she continued to be this polarizing figure into the 80s. She served as the chief speechwriter for Larry Flint's uh, 1984 presidential campaign, and she was regularly invited to TV talk shows as a guest. Wow! But everything would change on August 27th of 1995. So, on that day, O'Hare, her son John Murray... And her granddaughter, Robin Murray O'Hare, were kidnapped by three men and taken to San Antonio. Oh
1: my god.
0: Their disappearance, while it was very sudden, was not initially viewed as strange for those that were close to the family. They
1: thought that she just, like, up and bounced again?
0: Yeah. Like, she left, maybe she went on to retire whatever. Yeah. Because also there was a note that was left on the American Atheist Center office that was presumed to be from Murray, and friends and family just assumed that they left. Like, they again, they were going to retire, vacation, whatever. So the note that was left read, the Murray O'Hare family has been called out of town on an emergency basis. Oh. We do not know how long we'll be gone at the time of writing of this memo.
1: So, so it's just a
0: note that's like, we're out.
1: You know, whoever did this and wrote that memo knew who they were dealing with. Like, that yeah. makes something seem so legit and no one's going to be worried.
0: Yeah. Well, in the handwriting everything, it was written, or it was most likely written by John Murray. But obviously he was coerced into writing it. Obviously. There were other theories at this time as well but Austin police and the officials at the center treated the situation as if the O'Hares just left on their own because that's
1: that's what it looked like
0: yeah murray also kept contact with employees in Austin using a cell phone for 3 weeks after his abduction so there red flags weren't raised right cuz he's like we have to go and you know he's talking to them and everything so yeah and, you know, people said that on the phone he seemed very distracted, not himself, but...
1: Oh, that's... You know, I was thinking, like, through text messages, like, they actually had phone calls?
0: Yeah, well, this was in 95, so it oh, was Oh, texting calling. wasn't
1: really a thing.
0: Not really. Wow. But, so he was talking to them, but most people are assuming, you know, if he sounds stressed out, maybe there was a family emergency, you know, he's just stressed out.
1: Again, they're not... There are no red flags, They're not seeing things that. Oh my god! Yeah,
0: because if I got an email from my boss that was like, "Hey, something came up. I'm going to be out of town. I'm not sure how long." And then the next day, I talk to them on the phone, and they seem real stressed out or weird. I'm not going to be like,
1: "What's the matter?" This
0: is suspicious. No, I'm. I'm going to be like, "Okay, yeah, family stuff." Yeah,
1: like God, I hope you're okay.
0: Yeah. So, the captors took the O'Hare family to the Warren Inn on the northwest side of San Antonio, where the group lived for a month in a two-bedroom, one-bath rental. And
1: how many people are in the group?
0: So, the three kidnappers... And the three kidnapped victims. Okay,
1: so what? That's that's what I was understanding. If it was victim and like yeah. the people who did it.
0: So in September of 1995, Murray had six hundred thousand dollars wired to the U.S. from New Zealand, which was then used to buy gold coins. And on September 29th, Murray picked up $500,000 worth of coins from a small jeweler on Fredericksburg Road. Who deals in
1: gold coins? I'm not understanding that.
0: Oh, I have no idea.
1: Like that just seems so I mean, bizarre. Like they wanted to be like pirates or something. Like we need the, yeah. we need the gold coins, our ar- matey. Is,
0: is that is that what you're imagining? The kidnappers were ar- or, matey. Like, Blackbeards right. pirates? They were
1: definitely pirates with eye patches and parrots. Okay. Why else do they want gold coins? I
0: don't think they were pirates, but I will let you have that image. Thank you. So that same day that Murray, the son, picked up half a million dollars worth of these coins, yeah. the O'Hare's were moved to a La Quinta Inn. And La Quinta. in that hotel- So
1: much goes down in a La Quinta.
0: Yeah. And in that hotel room, the captors murdered each family member.
1: Oh my god. I was not anticipating you to say that. Yep. Oh my god. I think the maid thought when After she went they to were... that room. I know. But, but like, literally, like how were you going to clean that up in a timely enough fashion to not get caught?
0: So- After they were killed, the bodies were rolled up in a bedspread, and the captors swept the hotel room, and they found notes that Madeline had written and hidden for someone to find.
1: Oh no, and they found them! They were not meant to find those.
0: The bodies were stuffed into a van and taken to Austin. Once they got to Austin, the three kidnappers, or I guess at this point the three murderers, chopped up the bodies and loaded the pieces into three 55-gallon metal drums.
1: Oh my god, the drums.
0: They then drove them to Camp Wood, northwest of San Antonio, where they were buried.
1: Wait, they buried the drums? They put them in drums and then buried the drums. Or the drums were just to take them from A to B?
0: I think the drums were just there to take them from A to B, because you'll see why, but I'm not sure that they buried the drums. It's unclear. So before disposing the bodies two of the captors turned on the other one and they shot him, dismembered him, and cut off his hands and head and buried the severed parts with the other victims.
1: Oh my god.
0: The headless, handless body was disposed of along the Trinity River in Dallas just a few days later.
1: Why? So like his head and his hands were buried in the ground and then this body was disposed of in Dallas.
0: Yeah. Wow. I assume the, you know, taking his hands and head make it will make it harder to identify because dna you know this is 95 dna is still in its earlier stages right so. so they've
1: got i mean it's essentially they took away the fingerprints and the dental records as yeah. in they knew what they're doing although they just separated them it's not as if they destroyed them
0: yeah but where they buried it it's like this middle of nowhere ranch in texas
1: Which could literally be anywhere.
0: Yeah. They're not just going to be stumbled upon.
1: Right. Especially if they're buried.
0: In the year following the disappearance and killings, authorities and the public still did not suspect foul play. In the case they still just that... thought
1: that she and her family had left
0: yeah maybe they were like you know what we're
1: done with austin bye fuck
0: america we're gonna go to
1: mexico it'd be the closest australia oh, okay like
0: yeah they had money oh so they maybe could go they anywhere just were like we're gonna go yeah and there were also some possible like financial something fishy going on mm-hmm. at the company especially with this six hundred thousand dollars that was pulled out of the company to buy these gold coins that maybe it looked like they left because maybe they were hiding something
1: there who knows yeah
0: but people aren't thinking they got kidnapped and murdered nope but that all began to change with a story in the san antonio express news in august of 2006 john mccormack who was a reporter for the express news was tasked with writing an anniversary piece for the newspaper and he interviewed people at the atheist center checked clips, rechecked details, and his initial story, it didn't really uncover anything that wasn't already known. You know, they disappeared. No one knew anything. That's it. Three months later, though, he got some friendly advice about some tax documents that led to several pieces of key information that would give all of this new life. McCormack checked the tax forms for the America Atheist Center and discovered the transfer of $600,000 in funds from New Zealand back in September of 95, and this transaction was linked to John Murray, who had disappeared, you know, six weeks prior. Mm -hmm. All of this led McCormack and an investigator to track down Murray's cell phone records. Those records were the next piece of the mystery and showed who Murray had called And when. And this led McCormick and his investigative partner to find where the money was being used. And they found this small jeweler on Fredericksburg Road. Mm -hmm. So the pieces are, things are starting to lead somewhere. The the pieces are coming together. It blows my mind how there are so many journalists out there that I read about, and I'm like, God, you could have been a great detective.
1: Yeah. The ways journalists just put things together, not only for a good story or a good news article, but they discover things. They find shit out. And it's because they know a lot of people. They know how to talk to people. They know how to get information. And a lot of the times that information Mm -hmm. turns into evidence. They're phenomenal.
0: So... For the next several years, McCormack continued to work with a private investigator to uncover more about the case. In June of 1998, McCormack got a call from a tipster who said that it was kidnapping, and the tipster had a name. The man on the phone said that the O'Hares had been held at gunpoint and taken to San Antonio by someone by the name of David Waters or Walters. Couldn't remember which one. The tipster said that they were a friend or a relative of a person concerned with the welfare of a man named Danny Fry, who, back three years ago, Waters or Walters, whoever this other guy was, had convinced him to come from Florida to help in the kidnapping. Oh, And Fry was missing.
1: (gasps) Oh my god, he's the one. He's the hand and the head. Yep. And the body, of course.
0: So ultimately the investigation focused on David Roland Waters, who is an ex-felon with a violent history who had worked for the American Atheists. So back in 1993, before the kidnappings and murders, Mm -hmm. O'Hare had actually fired Waters for stealing $54,000 from the organization.
1: Yeah, no shit you got fired.
0: And, And either unbeknownst to her or because she didn't care. Before his employment at American Atheists, he was actually a convicted murderer who was out on parole. Oh
1: my god. At the age god. of
0: seventeen, Waters had killed another teenager and had been sentenced to prison for eight years. But O'Hare is the type of person she believed everyone deserved a second chance, everyone deserved a fair shake, so she hired him anyway.
1: I really do like that mentality. But that is definitely still a risk. Yeah. I am, you know, say it was like drug charges or something. I'd be like, absolutely. Everyone gets a second chance. I'll hire you. Murder? That's harder. Even though he was a teenager, it's harder.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's probably a big part of it is because he was 17 when he did it. And I didn't get into the circumstances of of it. But she wanted to give him a second chance. Federal agents for the FBI and the IRS, along with police, concluded that Waters and his accomplices had kidnapped all three of the Murray O'Hare family members, forced them to withdraw these missing funds, and gone on several shopping sprees with their money and credit cards, and then killed and dismembered all three people.
1: Oh my god. How did they... Oh, did they assume the dismemberment of everyone because of Danny Fry?
0: I think so. Yeah. So... Waters' accomplices were Gary, Paul, Carr, and Danny Fry. Shortly after O'Hare and her family were killed, Waters and Carr turned on and killed Fry. So a search warrant was executed for the apartment of Waters and his girlfriend, and the search produced various calibers of ammunition, which Waters, a convicted felon who was not allowed to own ammunition, I mean that's
1: against his parole. So
0: yeah, right there, so he was arrested. And the contents of his apartment were seized. At the same time, Gary Carr was contacted in Michigan and interviewed. Carr had spent thirty years in prison for kidnapping a judge's daughter, and he wasn't gonna talk. He was like, No. Wow. Not going fucking back to jail. No, not doing it. He's like,
1: I'm not going back there.
0: He was read his rights and asked to listen to the information being discussed, and after that decided to talk and he implicated Waters in the deaths of Murray and the O'Hares. Carr also signed an affidavit and drew a map so the police could find the bodies. Carr was then arrested for possession of two firearms and taken to jail, and he was held in Detroit waiting trial. The weapons charge was dismissed, and Carr was transferred to the custody of the U.S. Marshals in Austin to stand trial for the deaths of the O'Hares.
1: But just him?
0: Just him in this trial. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, yeah. I I mean, a lot of times they do separate trials, for sure.
0: So after a three-week trial, Carr was found guilty of conspiracy to commit extortion, traveling interstate to commit violent acts, money laundering, and interstate transportation of stolen property. All of these charges were related to the O'Hare case. He was acquitted of charges of conspiring to kidnap because the authorities had not yet located their bodies. And in August of 2000, Carr was sentenced to two life sentences in prison.
1: That's interesting that they gave him two life sentences. I'm getting, like, OJ in Vegas vibes. Yeah. Where... The judge and the jury were probably like, yeah, we're pretty sure we know you did this, but we can't convict you on that. So we're going to give you the max on all of these other things and that it totals up to two life sentences. Yeah. That's wow. I didn't know life was something you could get for like money laundering and all of that. But maybe the addition of everything
0: the next uh, the next thing I'm going to say is going to really annoy you because it annoys no, me. No, he got
1: out. No. Oh, okay, good. Because that always happens and it makes me really mad.
0: So Waters was arrested and prosecuted, and he was found guilty of kidnapping, robbery, and homicide in the O'Hare cases, and was sentenced to 80 years in prison. What? So he got 80 years for the homicide and kidnapping and robbery, and the other dude got two life sentences for, like, money laundering conspiracy and extortion and shit. Yeah, I know.
1: But this goes to what we were saying a few episodes ago, that it's all based on the jury and what's presented in trial. Yeah. And this is a great example of that, because I almost feel like, their sentences should have been swapped for the guy who did all the money laundering, whatnot, two life sentences for the guy that got convicted of kidnapping and homicide, which begs my question for you. And maybe you don't have the answer. So it's just a question. How did he get kidnapping and homicide when there's no bodies, but this other guy couldn't get kidnapping
0: because there were no bodies?
1: How does that work out?
0: Yeah, I have the exact same question.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And like, I know- Because- I know we haven't like read the court transcripts and whatnot, but like, how yeah. does that- yeah. I don't get it.
0: So in January of 2001, after his conviction and imprisonment, Waters told the federal agents that the O'Hares were buried on a Texas ranch and led them to their bodies. I was about to say,
1: I hope he gave more information than a Texas ranch. The bodies were so, buried in Texas. It's like, oh, thanks. Good luck.
0: So officials found the burned and dismembered bodies of the three O'Hares. Their legs had been removed, and their bodies had been stacked on top of each other. The method of execution for Madeline and her granddaughter were indiscernible, they couldn't tell. But her son was found with signs of blunt force trauma. His hands were tied, and a plastic bag was placed around his head.
1: Oh my god, why? That seems like so much more detail put against him.
0: Yeah. Well, and it it might just be that they removed the bags that were around... The other people's head. ...Madeline and Robin's yeah. head. I don't know. So a severed head and hands from a fourth body were also found, and authorities believe that to be the third accomplice, Danny Fry. These remains had such extensive mutilation and decomposition that officials had to identify them through dental records, DNA testing, and in Madeline O'Hare's case... Records from her prosthetic hip. Waters died of lung cancer on January 27th of 2003 at the Federal Medical Center in Butner, North Carolina. And that is how the most hated woman in America and her family were murdered. Not by one of the thousands of people who sent hate mail and death threats, but someone who was looking to rob them. Just
1: wanted their money. Wanted the gold coins. So... Yours is a really good example of what we were talking about at the beginning, where it's hard but not impossible to convict someone. And you had like examples of both of them, like to convict someone of murder when there's no body. And then Mm -hmm. they later admitted to it. It's these after conviction confessions. Mm -hmm. That was a crazy case, dude.
0: So that is my case. Uh, why don't you tell me about yours?
1: Yes. So I did get a little bit of an advantage in this, as in did. Courtney picked did. the case that I'm doing. So this is the disappearance of Catherine Phillips, who's also known as Baby Kate. Oh. Yeah, prepare to like literally want to crawl in a ball and cry. Great. so the sources I used 9 and ten news the Charlie project and shout out to the Charlie project your information was amazing and extremely thorough so the Charlie project it's an organization that profiles about 10,000 um, cold cases or missing persons cases mostly from the United States and they're not The ones who actively investigate by any means. It's just like a publicity vehicle for missing people who are often neglected by the press and, you know, things have been forgotten. So they bring awareness, which is wonderful. Yeah. I also used M Live, Detroit Free Press, and the Seattle Times. So Kate was born on February 12th, 2011 in Ludington, Michigan, to her parents, Sean Phillips and Ariel Cortland. She was just this super cute little girl, no hair, blue eyes, just a baby. Happy as can be. Yeah. Her parents, they weren't married. Um, They were younger, I believe, in their late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, another child together as well. Kate was last seen in Ludington on June 29th, 2011, around 1 p.m. She lived with her mom, Ariel, at Birch Lake Apartments. And on that day, Ariel got into an argument with her boyfriend, Sean, Kate's father, mm-hmm. and they were sitting in his car in the front of the building at her apartment complex, and Kate's in her car seat in the back. So Ariel steps out of the car to go get Kate's stroller from her apartment, and while she was gone, Sean drove away unexpectedly and took Kate oh, with him. shit. Ariel repeatedly called Sean's phone from a friend's phone. Her cell phone was still in his car. She had just gotten out to go upstairs and get the stroller. She realized he was gone and he was not answering. Oh my god. Once it clicked that he had deliberately left and taken Kate and that he was not going to be coming back because he is not answering the calls, she called 911 and the police immediately started looking for them. Just a few hours later, Sean was arrested at his home, which he shared with his parents. Technically, I should say that the other way around. It's his parents' home where he still lived. Yeah. um, In Scottsville, Michigan. And he was charged with kidnapping. His vehicle was recovered and Kate's car seat and her diaper bag were in the trunk. Sean had her clothes in his pocket, but Kate was not with him. Oh. He refused to talk. He wouldn't say where she was. And he initially claimed that he left the baby with Ariel. He's like, no, I didn't take Kate. I left Kate with her mom. We had a fight and I left. Later that day, an Amber Alert was issued for Kate. Yeah, She was last seen wearing a white one-piece outfit with black polka dots and black and pink flowers. No one's finding Kate. So Sean was a soldier in the Army National Guard. And he was scheduled to be deployed to Afghanistan in August 2011. So two months time from when this incident occurred. And he was reportedly very stressed over his pending deployment and a lot of other issues he had going on in his life. Like I mentioned earlier, he's also the father of Ariel's older daughter. And he was presumed to be Kate's father as well. But paternity had not been proven in court by the time of her abduction. Oh. Sean did not feel like he could afford two children, and he also didn't want to tell his parents that he fathered another child. So on that day that Kate went missing, Ariel had actually set up an appointment at a DNA lab for Sean to take a paternity test, and she planned to show this to his parents. But instead of going to the lab, Sean drove himself, Kate and Ariel to the office of the Mason County Department of Human Services and tried to place Kate up for adoption. She's four months old at this time. Sean and Ariel had been considering this option of adoption for some time, and they had partially filled out the paperwork for it, but ultimately Ariel refused to consent, and this is the moment when they drove back to the apartment. So it's this situation where... In Ariel's mind, they're going to get the paternity test. You know, Ariel is determined, like, this is their family, this is their daughter, and she wants his parents to know. And instead, Sean drives them to the adoption agency. They go inside, they start the process, and Ariel's just like, no. No, this is not what I want. I'm not consenting. We're done. So this is what they were fighting about. So this is what happened. They drove back to the apartment and they're arguing about the adoption. They're arguing about the scenario and the situation that had just occurred. And Ariel had previously talked to Sean about adoption and text messages, but she was just trying to make him happy. It was never something that she was going to actually consent to. And I think maybe she didn't realize he was serious. He didn't want to take care of another child. He didn't want Kate. Sean said that if Ariel wanted to take the DNA test and ruin his life, she could do it on her own. He was not interested in this paternity test. And again, like I said earlier, he hadn't told his parents he had a second kid. And he didn't want a second kid. And so things are adding up. After Kate was abducted, the DNA test was completed. And Sean was proven to be her father.
0: God, see, it pisses me off so much when... Men are like, well, I, did, I didn't ask to be a son, I don't want to be a father. And it's like, tough fucking luck. You
1: had sex. Put your
0: dick away. Yeah. it's Like, like you you can't put it all on the mother just because she is the one who, like, birthed a child. Like, no, sorry, you're a part of this too.
1: I totally agree. So, searches for Kate continued throughout July as the police worked to piece together Sean's whereabouts between about 1 and 4 on that day, June 29th. July second is when the police found the outfit that Kate was last seen wearing, but they were not going to disclose the location it was found. Oh. They wanted to keep that again because they're trying to find her. They don't know who has done this. They have an idea that it was Sean. Yeah. But they want to leave all the avenues open. And yeah. and that's a classic police move to like keep yeah. keep information out of wraps until you know it's okay to release to the public.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. If
1: ever. So Ariel passed a polygraph test regarding Kate's abduction and she was never considered a suspect. However, she would repeatedly visit Sean in jail after his arrest and she'd give him money. Um, I think there's even been rumors that maybe they were still intimate with one another. And she just said she was trying to stay on friendly terms with him so he would tell her where Kate was. But the only thing that he would say is that the baby was still alive. Ariel said she and Sean argued often. And that once, he threatened to take her older daughter away from her if she didn't agree to Kate's adoption. So like I said, he literally doesn't want two kids, and he's trying to do everything he can to make that not happen. How fucking guilty does this You know this what he should have
0: done? Like, put on a condom. Fucking not... been like, hey, I'm gonna get a vasectomy. Boom. You're not gonna have two kids then.
1: Yeah. However, Ariel did say that she thought Sean was a good father and that she had never suspected that he might harm Kate. Hmm. The authorities launched an extensive search of the area between Ariel's apartment and Sean's parents' home. And these two residences were about six miles or so apart. And there were some unconfirmed reports that blood was found in the woods near Sean's parents' home. About three weeks after Kate went missing, investigators gave up the search. They had found no indication about her whereabouts.
0: Well, they didn't find a body, which is good.
1: They didn't find a body. I don't know if it's good. They are also still searching for Ariel's cell phone. Remember how earlier I said that she left it in Sean's car? It's yeah. It's never been located. It was no longer in the car. Like, it's gone. Her phone, it's black with a light purple strip around the display window. It, it's just your basic cell phone, but it's never been found. So, Sean's attorney filed a motion to dismiss the kidnapping charge, arguing that because he was Kate's father, he could not legally kidnap her. And apparently, this is a law in Michigan, and it states that a natural or adoptive parent cannot be guilty of kidnapping. What? Which I think leaves out a lot of scenarios.
0: Well, I mean, statistically, most kids are kidnapped by a parent. Like, that's literally most kidnappings is you know maybe there's divorce proceedings maybe parents had a fight and take one of them takes the kid i can understand you know i feel like the minority of cases involving parents kidnapping would be ones where it's not actually kidnapping but i feel like that's again the minority i feel right. like in, in most cases of a parent being charged with kidnapping they did kidnap their child totally
1: the prosecution argued that because the dna testing had not been completed at the time of kate's abduction sean at this time had repeatedly denied paternity to his parents friends and co-workers they said he was not kate's natural parent at the time of her abduction however
0: uh that's a weak argument
1: it is yeah, I agree. Because just because Sean was denying it, that doesn't mean he he knew. Like, he knew. Yeah. The judge sided with the defense, and the prosecution reduced the charges against Sean to false imprisonment and parental kidnapping, which I guess is different than regular kidnapping. Okay. So in April 2012, he was convicted of false imprisonment and later was sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison. A kidnapping conviction could have resulted in life a life sentence. He didn't end up getting the kidnapping conviction. Damn. So following his sentencing, police said they were treating Kate's disappearance as a homicide. So it was at that yeah. point, they still hadn't found her. It had been nearly a year they were treating it as homicide.
0: Which, I mean, it makes sense why they didn't bring up homicide charges on him, because they can't... If they're scared, there's not going to be enough evidence that could throw that away because it's like, double jeopardy and shit.
1: Of course. And it's also the, at the time, they had him in custody. They were taking him to trial. They knew they could get him on a parental kidnapping charge. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, with no body, why push it any further?
0: Yeah. At this point, you can say we have, you know, let's say, at minimum five years to solve this because of parole or whatever. Yeah.
1: So Sean allegedly wrote a letter to April that was leaked to the media in September 2012. And in this letter, he said that he had accidentally killed their child when he angrily pulled her car seat out of the car, not realizing that she was still in it. So he yanks it out, and I guess he's saying she fell out, or... it's If you're that violent and quick with a baby over a hard surface, I could see this happening. While I will say, babies are very resilient... Because I know, like, literally, all of us have been dropped on our head as a baby, and like, we're fine. Oh
0: yeah, Um, you dropped on your head. You fall out of your high chair. You whatever, and you're like la 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 la. But
1: sometimes, if you fall and hit the wrong way, then Mm -hmm. it's a different situation.
0: Well, and that's true for adults too. Oh, absolutely. You can slip and fall and be like, oh, oh my god, I kind of scraped up my elbow. And then you could, or you can slip and fall and snap your neck, or
1: you could slip and fall and bump your head on the corner of your coffee table and like I mean it's and maybe it's because of what we do and we look at every day but I'm afraid of falling because I know like I could trip and skin up my knees and be like oh like Peter on Family Guy or okay I could fall and hit my head and that's it
0: yeah it's weird how uh, it's one of those cases where you have to accept both opposing sides as truth yeah which is always interesting that. Dying is both really easy and really difficult.
1: It is. It is all about the circumstances surrounding Mm -hmm. what happens. So Sean wrote that Kate was thrown from the car seat and she died. And he held her body for a long time and cried before he left her in, quote unquote, a peaceful place. In October 2013, he was charged with her murder. The charge was dismissed, though, for lack of evidence the following year but reinstated on appeal. So this is one of those back and forth cases. And the trial judge dismissed the first degree murder charge against Sean, but left the jury to decide the lesser charge of second degree murder and manslaughter. Yeah. His defense argued that Kate's death was an accident and a case of involuntary manslaughter at the very worst. However, A jury deliberated for two and a half days, and Sean was convicted of second-degree murder in October 2016 and sentenced to 19 to 45 years in prison. These These years were to run concurrently with his sentence
0: for false imprisonment. So not consecutively.
1: No, concurrently. So at
0: the same time. Mm -hmm. So basically, his sentence is 19 to 44. Yes. So he could, depending if parole is an option... He could be out in a few years.
1: Yeah. You know, obviously with this case, foul play is suspected because of all the circumstances involved. And Sean later appealed his 2016 conviction, but it was upheld in April 2018. Mm -hmm. And to this day, the body of Catherine Phillips still has not been found. But the appeals court says that there was plenty of circumstantial evidence pointing to the death of baby Kate. So there is, in in the court's mind, no longer hope that she is still alive. I mean, if you think about the circumstances, she was four months old. If she's not being taken care of, she's not alive. And
0: Yeah, but I mean, just looking at last week's episode with kidnapping. It's true. I mean, J.C. Dugard, at that point, that she was found alive she had been considered dead for a long time by most people she had so i mean i guess best case scenario is that
1: sean left her on someone's doorstep he,
0: he left her on someone's doorstep or he left her with a friend or something and was like you know don't tell anyone who this is or whatever i don't know i feel
1: like it would have to be the latter because other people i would hope would have come to authorities I
0: don't be like, well, I have this doorstep baby who looks like she's around that age. Yeah, they're like, that's Kate. Well, so I mean, maybe Kate is alive today, under a different name, and has no idea who she she is. She wouldn't.
1: She would never know she was four months old. Yeah. Well. This is definitely a case that still haunts um, Ludington. And Courtney, let me know via message if I'm saying that wrong. It's either Ludington or Ludington, Michigan. But this is a case that still haunts the town to this day. Uh, People talk about it. Obviously, to this day, it was just a year ago that his appeal was denied and his conviction upheld. So there's still a lot of talk. And there's talk on both sides of, you know, the father being... The way he was, there are also questions about the mother. You know, she did take that lie detector test, but did that really say everything? And so there's still you know, this case is very much shrouded in mystery. And yeah. I just really I hurt for baby Kate because she didn't get to live her life. She she never even got
0: to start. No. She was still at the stage where I mean, when babies are four months old, it's They're only starting to become, like, a person and not a thing that's just like, ah. That's just. I can't move my hands. I still need to wear mittens because my fingernails are secretly pieces of glass. They're so sharp. I didn't realize that until my friend had a baby and I was holding him and he, like, like, reached towards my face. It was adorable. And I came away with, like, us, like, blood from my face. And I was like, oh, my God god (laughs) they're a monster
1: (laughs) they're so like because you think about how thin they are and i mean a piece of paper can cut your skin so a baby's nail is thicker than a piece of paper but it's still pretty thin and it's thicker and it's sharp yeah basically there are knives but i mean knives on the end of 10 fingers
0: basically every (laughs) single (laughs) person (laughs) gives birth to edward scissorhands basically but anyway what i'm saying is like at four months old i feel like your baby is just now starting to like really develop their personality, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they're smiling more at than you, oh or... they're
0: fussy or oh they're quiet. Like starting to, I don't know, really build on that personhood. And yeah, I mean, yeah, they're people, they're children or whatever. Of course. But like, I mean, a newborn baby just kind of lays there and does its thing, and they're perfect angels. And I want kids so bad, but like they don't really do much,
1: not for a while
0: but yeah but she didn't really get to start
1: no she didn't
0: growing she
1: did not get to start growing she did not get to fully develop into who she is and it breaks my heart because it's all because of some dad who was like i don't want a second kid i can't do it he was stressed about going into the military and i'm like dude hi welcome to life we're all really stressed we have very different levels of it but everyone has things that are stressful And you know what we do? We're human. We're resilient. And we fucking figure it out.
0: You know what they would say in the Midwest? They'd say, buck up.
1: Buck up, kid. You got this.
0: Because, yeah.
1: Well, I do, you know, this topic very much lent itself to what we alluded to in the beginning, how it's sometimes hard to get a conviction without a body, but it still does happen.
0: I think it's interesting that with this topic, in both of our cases, we picked ones that did have murder convictions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I can also see it on, you know, because we're doing a podcast where we're reporting on these cases, on ones that are just essentially kidnappings, disappearings, it's usually not a lot of information. No. In my case, there wasn't any information. No. Until there started to be more, until that reporter started going in and finding things. And the confession. But before then, when it was just missing persons, they just disappeared. Yeah. They left a note and disappeared. Yeah. And that's not, that's that's a very difficult story to tell.
1: Well, and mine is very much based on circumstantial evidence. You know, mm-hmm. there's this confession letter that we don't know if Sean actually wrote it. We're all making the assumption he did, but it's a letter. Mm. So do we really know? And you know,
0: that's true.
1: Kate's clothes were found in his pocket, but also he was her dad. Maybe she wet herself, and he had to change yeah, her clothes. He and a- he had them in his pocket because he had nowhere else to put them. Like there's a reason it's considered circumstantial. And so while from what I just shared, it very much does seem as if Sean is guilty, you can make arguments against every single point I made because it's circumstantial. There is no concrete evidence.
0: As much, at least from what I've heard from you, and granted that's not everything neither of us were sitting in the court, I would have a very hard time on saying guilty, even on second degree murder charges, I think even I would on have manslaughter charges. I think
1: I would have too. I would need more information.
0: Yeah, because sometimes even a full-on confession is not enough. You have to have evidence that supports that confession.
1: Because some people are really good storytellers. Why they would want to implicate themselves, I don't know. But people have their reasons. No.
0: But I mean, I could walk into the police station right now and confess to the yogurt shop murders. Okay. You
1: and, like, so many people. That doesn't mean anything. It doesn't.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to have evidence supporting it in concrete. So, I don't know if I would have been able to say guilty well maybe that's why i've never been called to a jury because i'm just naturally skeptical as fuck
1: well i put a pin in that because i want to say something to that after i say this one thing that i just thought of and side note opinions are my own like i literally just thought of this it has nothing to do with anything i researched but i mentioned how he was extremely nervous about going to afghanistan and like doing that you know if you're in jail you don't do that you don't go over so you know, that's true. Maybe he agreed to certain things. And, and I don't think this is the case because he did later appeal his sentence. But being in prison means he's safe from being shipped overseas, Um, even mm-hmm. though he was in the National Guard and that was something he had volunteered to do. But what I was going to say to the thing you put a pin in, I have also been recently thinking about that. I've never received jury duty. And I made a comment to someone at work about that and i was like although i don't really know if i would ever make it on like a really big case because of the podcast because i'm very opinionated because i'm against the death penalty and she had like the best response she was like well it depends on if you were being summoned by the defense or the prosecution that's because true. depending on if you were
0: on the defense if the you know if the prosecution has already marked off their amount of people and you're like i'm against the death penalty and the defense is like great Perfect. We love juror number 36.
1: Exactly. So it's all dependent upon which side you end up on, uh, because she has been called to jury duty a few times, and she's been on some pretty interesting cases and was telling me about one of them. And it's just like, whoa. Um, The reason this whole conversation came up at work is because there's a capital murder case right now that's about to happen in Dallas, and a friend of a friend was summoned for jury duty on that. I don't know if she's been picked, but that's one of those things where it's like, Oh my god! When you get called for jury duty, I think your automatic thought is like, "Oh, great, a parking ticket. This is boring shit." But sometimes it's I mean, like, "Oh, capital I want, murder." I want to be
0: called for. I want to be called for jury duty regardless, even if it is a traffic ticket or whatever. I
1: want to be called for jury duty to like make sure I'm on the list because literally at this point I'm almost thirty two years old and I've think never if been you're called.
0: Registered to. I think if you're registered to vote, you're on the list. I would have to have that fact-checked and no all? i think
1: that's right i've always been registered to vote
0: same um, yes yes i am registered yes so i vote i was like am i registered in texas i literally voted in texas a couple months ago you did. yes
1: but so that is the um really heartbreaking case of the disappearance of baby kate yeah may she rest in peace wherever she is
0: Yeah. um, And we kind of, we already did a little bit like a pre-postmortem. We
1: did. So let's just officially jump into the postmortem. I have some thoughts. Do you want to go first or would you like me?
0: I'll go first because you went first last time. Okay. While it's often hard to say one case is more intense than another, especially when one involves a child, like immediately that feels like the most intense case. Of course. I feel like the brutality... Of mine, the fact that they were, I mean, held hostage for a month and then strangled, chopped up, burned, like, uh, yeah.
1: I am actually in full agreement. While the case of Baby Kate is literally every parent's worst nightmare, one of them, one of them, I think parents, I think parents and new parents have a lot of nightmares. I think this is one of them. Yeah.
0: Well, and also, I still... As small as that hope may be, there is a part of me that is still hoping that baby Kate is actually now Angela, the kindergartner, and is alive, just doesn't know who she is. Right. Because until she's been found, she very much could still be alive under someone's name. And I know that statistically... That's so unlikely. But again, I have to hearken back to last week, where people survived the most heartbreaking circumstances that you would never expect anyone to survive. They do. And they do. They
1: absolutely do. And I, I agree. While, yes, mine was extremely heartbreaking, and like I was saying, every parent's worst nightmare, in yours, the bodies were eventually found, and I agree, the brutality that was done to them and also the fact that there was a letter written and for so long no one thought anything yeah
0: it for years. it breaks my heart without that reporter
1: this this, it wouldn't have ever been solved this
0: would have just been a maybe not even a missing person's case it
1: wouldn't have been a case it would have been a they left oh period okay So, yeah, I think that um, I will pick next week's topic, and um, that yours was what we'll quote-unquote call the most intense. Okay. So.
0: I, um, God, poor baby Kate, poor Ariel, just...
1: Oh, I know. It's so hard, but, like, I guess no, but it's so hard.
0: Yeah, but... Again, I'm hoping that... There's
1: always that bit of hope.
0: Baby Kate is still alive. Always
1: that bit of hope, and um, we'll hold on to that.
0: So with that, um... If y'all like this episode, uh, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you'd like, write a review, give us those stars. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Y'all,
1: it's so helpful because I feel like more people are hearing about us now, um, and a lot of this is attributed to you guys, all of your support. Y'all are sharing us with your friends and rating us and reviewing us, so we, we really do appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And you guys have been incredible.
1: So incredible. Cheers to you, our fans. Yes. Also, be sure if you haven't already, like and follow us on social. We're on Instagram. That's definitely our most active. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, we've also got a website, bloodandwinepodcast.com. Go ahead and check that out. Check out our merch store. Uh, We have a lot of fun goodies there for you. T-shirts in both logos. We do still have our OG logo live for merch. So if you yes, we do. if you want that, better hop on and snag something before that goes away.
0: Yes, with that again, I want to extend a big thanks to all of y'all for tuning in and make sure to check us out next week for episode 56. Yes. I still can't believe this one was fifty-five. I can't
1: either. You know how excited but... I am to get to a hundred.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. We are going to do something big for episode 100. So tune in in 2020 (laughs) for episode 100. Do it. I mean, please tune in from now until then and afterwards. But um, with that, this is Blood & Wine signing off.
1: Thanks, you guys. XOXO. Bye. Bye. Do you like true crime? Are you addicted to TV shows and movies? Do you like a good spook? Screen of the Crime is a podcast where two gals talk about some spooky true crimes, their favorite
0: movies, TV shows, and the alternate world where they combine. Host Maggie and Tess combine detailed research and accurate TV knowledge to create a comedy podcast that mixes the disturbed with the enjoyable. Listen to Screen of the Crime on Spotify, Stitcher, and all your favorite podcast streaming sites.